Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor David Hall. If you'd like to find out more about David or to keep up to date with his ministry, you can visit davidhall.com.au. We hope that you enjoy the message. I want to speak tonight something I've never preached before. I've definitely referred to the scripture before, the book of Joshua. I've never preached this message. And let me ask you a question. Some of you will be honest and put your hand up, so, and some of you will just not be honest, so I won't, I won't even make you go through the process of putting up your hand, but I'm sure there's people in this room that, that you just have trouble reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, it just doesn't happen for you. You read the Bible, and it's like, who, Zerubbabel said to Shaliliel, Cappadocia, Phoenicia... Cyrene begat George, who begat Keith, who begat Ray, who begat Dan, who begat Ash. Now, the point I'm trying to make is sometimes you read the Bible and you don't know where to start. Let me say this firstly. If you're not too experienced in the things of God and you do want to read your Bible, I'll say this. Start with the book of John. Just read the book of John. And you say, well, what do I do when I finish? Read the book of John again. And then what do you do? You read the book of John again. Then Matthew, a bit of Mark, a bit of Luke. Just stay around there. And then when you're really starting to feel adventurous, get into the book of Acts. And then just get in the Gospels. Read a historical version of what Jesus did. And you start, you'll start to see the character and nature of God. But I want to speak tonight on maximizing your time in the Word. Maximizing your time in the Word. Simple message tonight. I've got practical thoughts and, uh, and we're going to get through this. I've got a fair bit to cover, and I want to get you out of here in time to go out and have fellowship together. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. You ready for the word? The book, this book, capital B, the Bible, this book of the law, the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Somebody say Meditate. Meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, listen, for then you, somebody say that you is me. He says, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Let's just leave that up on the screen for one more minute. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Somebody say meditate. Day and night. And it, say, it says here, it says, Observe to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. You make your way prosperous by meditating on this book, and then you'll have good success. Now, there are Christians that don't, they get nervous when they hear words like prosperity and success because they want it to mean anything but prosperity and success because their faith isn't big enough for them to believe for prosperity and success. So they become the prosperity and success police. And so whenever you have prosperity and success and try to give glory to God, they say, they say well, prosperity is prosperity of the soul. Now, the problem is it's not. It's, it's just not. It's, it's prosperity in every area of your life, your spirit, your soul, your body, your health, in every area of your life. And it says here, that word Prosper. Well, that word meditate. Let's have a look at this for a minute because you don't need to get it back up there on the screen. It says meditate on it. Meditate. That really is likened to a cow eating grass. And I should have Googled on the way to church, but I'm not sure how many stomachs a cow has, but it's got, I think it's four. Four stomachs. Some of you are looking at me thinking you, you've got four stomachs too. No, I don't. I don't. I don't appreciate you saying such harsh things to one another. But the truth is that 
the cow will eat it and swallow the grass. It goes into one chamber, he brings it back up again. I know this is gross, and we're going to have dinner after the service, and swallows it again. I don't know how many times he brings it back up and takes it in, but he wants to get every bit of nutrient out of that grass that he swallows it and brings it back up. He chews it. Bite-sized pieces of the Word of God. He says, meditate on it, swallow it. Taste it, draw from it, over, repeat the process, get in the Word, let the Word be in your mouth. And sometimes we try to get on a Bible reading plan, which I wholeheartedly encourage, but then you go, this is not working for me. Here's a bit of advice. Don't overdo it. Get a, maybe read a good passage of Scripture, like maybe four or ten, three verses or something, and say, God, I'm going to read this thing. Speak to my heart. Begin to chew on it. And let it rise in your spirit. Let it rise in your spirit. Let it rise in your spirit. Dad was witnessing to a man one time, and, and uh, this guy was an opening batsman for Australia by the name of Justin Langer, and he was playing bad cricket and, and uh, got dropped from the side. And he, he asked Dad, Dad was sort of a bit of a... Uh, a de facto cricket chaplain there for a while. Steve Waugh was his friend and got Dad to speak to the cricket team quite regularly. And so Dad was talking to Justin Langer at what was Fast Eddie's Cafe on Hindley Street, and they got to chatting, and he said, I've been dropped from the team. And Dad just said, look, here's a scripture that you need to know. And you might say, well, this is simple, but this guy, he wasn't advanced in his faith. It was just really, he was just on a journey trying to find his faith. And Dad gave him the scripture, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. So he began to chew on that little word. And then he got back in the team for the first time playing in Hobart. And as he's playing, he made 200 runs. And he said to Dad, he goes, I don't know where I heard this. And he said, but every time the ball was coming, I just kept saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so dad says, that's that's a scripture I gave to you. And as he started about it, he became extremely successful. And then at one point, they were having, they were in fast eddies again. And uh, Justin says to him, where where do I go when I die? And dad says, well, it depends. Are you you serving Jesus or are you not serving Jesus? And he says, well, I want to serve Jesus. So in that service, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, bowed his knee to God and has been serving God ever since. Can I, I've come to tell you that when you just, even one word from God can unlock something in your life. Meditate on it. Meditate. You might say, well, I try to read the Bible and I struggle. Well, just get in a proverb. Get a few proverbs and just meditate on it and say, God, I'm chewing it. Meditate. And that word meditate, literally to, to draw out. And then, and it also means to ponder. It means to mutter. <laughs> I was in Subway the other day with Layla. We were having a, a, a weekly pastoral catch-up to discuss all things youth. And I swear, the girl serving us at Subway was one of those low talkers. She was muttering. Maybe she was meditating on the word day and night. At Subway, eat fresh. But, but when, it, means to, it means to utter, to muse, to speak. It even means to growl. I don't really know what to do with that. For God's sake, I love the world. I don't know. I don't know. It's a new method of meditation. You need to try that. It means to study, to speak it, to utter it, to murmur in pleasure. Bless you. And he says, if you do this, don't let it depart from your mouth. This is the thing that blows my mind, Pastor Keith. It doesn't say he will make your way prosperous. It says you. Because when you do this, there's a supernatural thing that happens. Because you did this. Now, let me, I've got to show you this. There's two words here. It'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So to prosper means to advance, to prosper, to make progress, to have success. 
And then it says, you'll prosper. You'll, you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Somebody say good. good success. To me, that tells me you can have bad success. I look around the world, you see earthly success. But it can often cost people and destroy their life. You can have good success, which has been successful in the will and purpose of God for your life. But it literally means that word success doesn't actually mean prosperity, progress, advancing, or success in that form. It means having the insight that brings success. You get the word in you, you have insight that opens the door to success. I can tell you when I have insight from my earthly mind, I can have a lot of things, but not always success. But when you listen to the voice of the Spirit through the Word of God, you'll have success. Now, I need to, re- I need to go through this quick because I've got a fair bit I want to cover. I want to get the- Can I make this so practical? This is as practical as you can be. I'm preparing this message for here, for our podcast, for whoever's listening to the message today. I just want to help you read your Bible effectively. Let's have a look at this. If you want to read your Bible and have, and have good success, you need to read your Bible, number one. You need to read your Bible in faith. Somebody say in faith. Because this is twofold. Of course we have faith in Christ. But how can we have faith in Christ if we don't have faith in his word that reveals him? See, I, have, I had a guy come up to me the other day. And uh, he was telling me, he's saying, oh, I'm having trouble with my faith. I said, why is that? And he said, because I can't really believe that you can just be eaten by a fish and live in there for three days. And, and then you get the scientists trying to explain how this is possible. I live in the middle of that. I think the scientists stop it. I think the non-believers stop it. If God wants to stick someone in a fish and keep them alive for three days, he can do it. I mean, it's not normal. We don't do it all the time. I haven't been to Largs Bay and had a barramundi cough up, I don't know, some bloke from Tassie. You know, you don't... It's not common. It happens sometimes, but it's not normal. The point that I'm trying to make, the point that I'm trying to make is that I think we get stuck on things. Does the Bible have some tall things, some tall stories? Mm-hmm. It does. That a snake with four legs tells a woman to eat an apple and it ruins everything. I just wish that Adam and Eve had been Aboriginal people. Because they would have avoided the apple and they would have eaten the snake. It's true. That is true. (laughs) 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can I say, read this thing in faith. Read it in faith. Trust it. Well... I don't know if the translation process is reliable. Is it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm simple. You don't think that maybe the same God who breathed this Bible, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, you don't think the same Holy Ghost that authored the thing doesn't have the power to guide the translation process. You don't think that he was probably pretty aware that it was happening, thinking, 
I'm going to take some control over this process. People have fought this for years and years and years. But the evidence holds extremely firm that you can trust the Bible. Awesome. So number one, we read the Bible in faith. Number two, we read the Bible with Jesus at the center. When you read this book, read it and look for Jesus. Where do I look? Well, you can find him very clearly, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can find him in Romans. You can find, I mean, you can find him from Genesis to Revelation. But look for him in the Old Testament. Because often people disregard the Old Testament, but it's so alive with Jesus. The Old Testament is alive with Jesus. You know, Jesus makes appearances in the form of types. There are types and shadows that he orchestrates, that God orchestrates that happen, that are pictures of Jesus. And you go through. I'll just give you a few. There are thousands. But we see a man called Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God. He was no longer. He was raptured. But what we know about Enoch, he was a type of Christ. He was a picture of Christ. And uh, it says he walked with God. He was no longer. Enoch was an example of, upright, of uprightness. And he's being taken away into heaven bodily. He prefigured the bodily ascension of Christ. In other words, he was a first picture of what Jesus was going to do. Noah is a type of Christ. He served as some kind of second Adam. He was not the second man or the last Adam, but he was a type of the one who was to come. Just as God had given Abraham the create, uh, Noah, sorry, Adam even, the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply, he gave Noah the recreation mandate. Noah's name means rest. His father named him rest. You can see God, you can see Jesus in the life of Noah. You can see Jesus in the life of Abraham. He was a type of Christ. The Bible says Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, like Jesus when he stepped out in faith. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was the head of the covenant. He's the father of many nations and Jesus is called the everlasting father. If you look in the Old Testament, you see Jesus. If you look for Jesus, you'll find Jesus. Some people want to find, they look at the Bible and they want to find everything. They want to look at a scripture and they want it to mean this. They look for something. If you look hard enough, you'll find anything. But I tell you, the safest way, if you want to look through the Bible with a bent or a perspective, make Jesus your bent or your perspective. Look for Jesus in the Bible. The Bible comes alive. You see Jesus. I mean, when you see the Red Sea covering the, the Egypt and representing sin in people's past, what's that to someone looking through the lens of Christ? That's the blood of Jesus who takes away the sins of the world and delivers and sets free. We see Isaac as a type of Christ. Now, poor old Isaac, he did not have the best situation. One day his dad says, come on, let's go up to the top of the hill. We're going to have a sacrifice. There's no lamb. There's no one. He's carrying his own wood, a picture of Jesus carrying his cross to Calvary. And at the last minute, as he goes to drive a dagger, God provides a lamb or a ram in the thicket and and, uh, and we know that Isaac's life is spared. And, and it's a picture of, uh, of the sacrifice being made. Isaac was giving us an example of what was to come and how a lamb could take away the sin of the world. Jesus is in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Joshua was a type of Christ. He would lead people into a promised land. I want to tell you, Jesus wants to lead us into a promised land. What's it called? Heaven. Heaven. Sometimes we don't hear too much about heaven. You and I, when we die, we're going to heaven. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Joseph was a type of Christ, suffered unjustly. He was exalted to save his brothers, undergoing what seemed like death and resurrection. Even though it didn't physically happen, they thought he was gone, but he was indeed alive. He was hated by his brothers, suffered at their hands, but was exalted to a place of power. Jesus 
was hated by man, but has been exalted to a place of power, seated at the right hand of God. The book of Judges, all of the Judges. Reading the book of Judges is actually awesome. And, and seeing the different judges that try to keep these crazy Israelites in line. They were all respectively, they were types of Christ. They were deliverers, redeemers of God's oppressed people. Whenever Israel sinned, the Lord sent foreign nations to punish them for their rebellion, but also gave them a way out and a way of escape. Samson was a type of Christ. He de- defeated, now get this, this will blow your mind. He defeated, he defeated more of God's enemies in his death than he did in his life. Let me just, that'll preach right there just for Jesus. You didn't get saved through his resurrection. You didn't get saved because of his miracles. You didn't get saved because he walked on water. You didn't get saved because he cast out demons. You were saved not because he, he rose again. That's just bearing witness to the fact that what he did is what he did. But it was in his death that your price was paid. But he fulfilled prophecy by coming back to life so we can identify and know who the Messiah is. But I love this. Nehemiah was a type of Christ. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Jonah was a type of Christ. He was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Jesus went to the belly of hell for three days. Friday night, but Sunday's coming. I love this. I've got so many I could preach. Jeremiah was a type of Christ. Underwent death and resurrection when he was thrown into the pit and pulled out. Picture of Christ. I read the Bible looking for Jesus. If you seek him, you'll find him if you seek him with all of, his, all of your heart. David knew Jesus. Jesus hadn't come, but he knew him. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. How did he know? He had a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus made an appearance in the Old Testament. Four boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, sentenced to death. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, how many guys have we put in there? And they said, three. Well, he goes, I'll see a fourth man. It looks like the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus came thousands of years before his appointed time. Why? Because some people refused to bow down. He made an appearance. He made a cameo in the Old Testament. He walked in the fire. You know, the ropes burned off. But, you know, they weren't burned. Why? Because Jesus was in there. And I tell you, sometimes we pray God get us out of the fiery stuff. But let me tell you, that's not what you pray. It's just that God, while I'm in it, just getting it with me and I know I'm going to be okay. And he'll get you out, but he'll do it his way. Number three, another way to read the Bible. Number three is under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you read the Bible in the company of the author of the book that you read. The Bible, and this is a quote by a guy called John, John Rue. The Bible originated in God's omniscient mind. Thus, it is a spiritual book and needs to be approached under the anointing of the Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read it, the King James says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, I'll I'll take a side note just for those that want to know how it was given. We believe, uh, and most mainstream Christians would believe that the Bible is given in a verbal plenary method, which means literally the Bible is given by the very words of God being spoken into the ear of the writers under the anointing of the Spirit. So every, every full stop, every comma, every word that's written was written under the direction and influence of God. So everything that is written is direct from God, penned by man who has taken possession of by the Spirit of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. The Bible says by inspiration of God. That word, uh, 
that, 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 that translation is best translated in the Greek. All scripture is expired. That means breathed out. Scripture is the product of the breath of God. The breath of God. We have our Bible because God breathed. When God breathed, things happen. He breathed in an upper room. People got filled with the Holy Spirit. He breathed upon the waters. The waters parted. And, and the Israelites, three million of them, walked through on dry ground. The breath of God gave you a Bible. You, you hold in your hand the, 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 what, what is captured by one breath of God touching human life. And so for me, if this is the breath of God, I want the breath of God around me when I read this book because something happens. There is a divine transaction that happens in your life. Come on, somebody, if you believe it, say amen. So the Bible is the result of the activity of the wind of the Spirit. There are terms that we hear. There are two words that you might have grown up hearing in church. If you've never been in church, you wouldn't have probably heard this, especially growing up in Pentecostal faith circles. We hear terms logos and rhema. Logos, L-O-G-O-S and rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Logos and Rhema. What that means, Logos. These words, when I read, for example, I'm randomly open here because I turned it while I was talking. It says here, praise the Lord, Psalm 137, praise those servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord is to be praised. That would make a good song, Pastor George, from the rising of the sun. Anyway, to the going down of the same. Does anyone remember that song? You've been saved too long. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. This is reading something. It's the word of God, but it's logos. It's the written word of God. Rhema. Somebody say rhema. Rhema is when you read a portion of scripture and God breathes on that which is already God breathed. He breathes on that word and it comes alive in your spirit. You might be feeling like giving up and you read a word that says... I will bless you. I'll cause you to sentence me, bless. And you read it, and suddenly that goes from being a word on paper to something that comes alive in your spirit. Come on, somebody. Do you believe that? And so there is something about a rhema word of God. It means an utterance. It means a portion of Scripture that speaks to a believer. So if so, so, so the, the funny thing is, is this word rhema isn't in the Bible too many times, but one time, it's in there a couple of times, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus is talking to the devil and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word. Somebody say every word. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That word, word here is not logos, it's rhema. In other words, it's every word that's breathed on by the Spirit of God that's alive in you. You can make life decisions on a rhema word from God. I can tell you there have been the most significant decisions I've made have been when I've looked at a Logos word and God's breathed on it. I've known it's the Spirit of God speaking in my life. Absolutely, I can tell you. And it's not many, many times that I've made massive decisions, but some of the biggest decisions in my life have come reading the Word of God and God breathes on that. It doesn't mean you might be dating someone, you want to marry him, so you read the Scripture, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and you get the Bible, and you go, yep, see, there we go, let's marry this girl. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are times where God speaks to you and He meets you at your point of need, and you know that you know that you know you've had a God encounter through His Word. It's how you read the Bible, looking for that Word. You know, Pastor Keith's wife, Pastor Wendy, is an incredible woman of faith, and she's a woman of God. I remember when we were having conversations, they, they sort of felt like Donna and I would be good pastors to take over. <laughs> yeah, that was, anyway, so, but 
They didn't know us well then, so it worked in our favor. So the truth is, Pastor Wendy's sitting there, and, and uh, basically they'd said, we want you guys to take on the church and be the pastors. They felt a call into the greater body of Christ. And she said to me, Pastor Wendy said to me, she said, do you have a word for the church? Do you have a word to take on this church? And I remember thinking, I really do want one. I really want one. That would be awesome. I felt the Spirit of God began to speak to me. And, and this is slightly, slightly maybe a, a variation on that, but God had put in my heart through Scripture, through different things that had been speaking to me about and things I'd been praying for. And, and the Bible talks many times about bringing your petitions to God, bringing things to God in prayer. And, and uh, where two or three are gathered, there He is. And if you ask anything in my name, He'll give it to you. And I, and I remember the Scripture in the book of Mark, nothing's impossible to them that believe. And He says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. So I remember... Pastor Wendy said that. I felt the Spirit of God speak to me as I was reading that. He said, there's been things you've been praying for this very thing. Your entire adult life since I called you to preach, you've been praying. He said, he said, stop looking for a word. This is your word. I'm answering your prayer because I'm a God who answers prayer. And I knew that I knew. When we moved from Plimpton to here, Genesis 12, the Bible spoke. He said, he said, get out from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I've been in a church. It was my father's church. And I felt God say we had to move. What do you do? You listen to the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it can be scripture and it's all breathed by God. But then he breathes it into your spirit and it becomes Rhema. You need to start reading the Bible for Rhema. Some of your lives might be more dysfunctional because you're not doing that. I guarantee your life will come together far more if you just get in the Word. My dad's wife, Jackie, she always says to me, she always used to say, she even said it again, I heard her say it this morning, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. And can I tell you, you get the Word of God on the inside of your spirit. He breathes on it. I tell you, there's a supernatural component to this book that I think we forget. I want to encourage you. Some of you spend all your time going to Kurong buying books about the Bible. Read the Bible too. Some people, oh, I'm studying Romans. Really? Yeah, yeah, I bought a book on Romans. Just read Romans. It's all there and you can get God's perspective on it too. Jesus, in John 6, 63, he talked about the words he speaks. He said, the words that I speak to you are spirit in their life, the rhema. That I speak to you, they're spirit and their life. Number four, how to read the Bible. Activate and apply it. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful. That word powerful mean, comes from a Greek word from which we get energy, full of energy and active. It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, listen to this, to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts, the intents of the heart. There is a fine line between soul and spirit. Spirit is what God wants for you. Soul is what you want. And often, I find people are hopeless when it comes to dating. You know, they're, they're like, oh, this person's the one. It doesn't work out. This person's the one. It doesn't work out. This person's the one. It doesn't work. I reckon sometimes when we want something with our soul, yeah. it's very hard to decipher whether it's our spirit. That's why it's good to have good counsel and talk to people. And yeah. The word of God, you get in this, it will divide that impossible line and bring clarity to what is you and what is God. And so you can get in line with what God's saying in your life. I'll tell you, this thing's a discerner of the thoughts. Basically, if you're thinking wrong thinking, it'll discern it and reveal by the Spirit of God to you where you should actually go. If you're an, Some people go, I'm a praying person. That's great. You need to pray. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a worshiper. I'm not really a word person. Can I tell you, it's a trinity of devotions. You need to pray. You need to be in the word. And you need to worship. It, it all goes together. I don't know how you can be balanced with two out of three.
Another way to read the word of God is with a teachable heart. You know, scripture interprets scripture. Somebody say that. Say scripture. Scripture. Interprets scripture. I've seen people take one thing, put it together with another thing, and been diehard fans of the truth therein. And it's just wrong. It doesn't make sense. It's like taking Matthew 27, 5. Judas threw down the piece of, the sil- of silver in the temple, departed, and he went and hanged himself. Well, then Luke 10, 37 says, Jesus said to him, go, go and do likewise. You don't really want to put those together. They're not meant to go together. What I'm trying to tell you is if we take one thing and try and fuse it with another thing. Let's look at the context it's in. That's why Timothy says in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study. Somebody says study. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Cut straight, hold a straight course. Studying means to be a student. There's accountability in study. When you're a student, you're accountable. Don't, the internet's a terrible Bible college. YouTube is not a doctor of theology. A podcast is not a doctor of theology. Study the word in an accountable environment with balance. Scripture interprets scripture. Don't find one passage and go, see, because you could probably find 50 that will give you a different perspective. And it's the problem is we put scripture and verse together when it comes to, we put numbers and pages. When this was written, it didn't have numbers. and It was just, it's one story made up of a whole lot of little elements. It's a story of redemption, deliverance, and forgiveness. And so we've always got to look at this through the lens of Jesus. And you're safe. Oh, what if you overemphasize grace? Good. What if I overemphasize the Holy Spirit? Good. What if I overemphasize Jesus? Good. Overemphasize, he- overemphasize heaven? Good. Some people, they want to overemphasize money or they want to overemphasize healing. I mean, I want all those things. Or healing anyway. Money, I, I trust God. But what I'm saying is, some people, everything means this. If you just look at it through Jesus. But you learn. You say, God, teach me. God, show me. You'll learn. God will do something. And finally, I'll close with this. I had to just... Ephesians 5.26 talks about being washed with the water of the word. The Bible, this thing, ministers to you. It washes you. Let me tell you, if you're hooked on something you shouldn't be hooked on, if you're stuck in a zone you shouldn't be stuck in, this thing will clean you up. This thing will help you. This Bible will just refresh your soul. Refresh your soul. It'll help you. It'll give you clarity. Young people, if you want success, read this book. Read this book. Get it in your spirit. I'll tell you, this book will help you. Mess it up. Get in it. Devour the word of God. It'll help you.